The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 500, for Sunday, May 4th, 2014. May the 4th be with you. And welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek of the show, where you send in questions, you send in tips, you send in cool stuff found. We answer your questions, we answer your tips, we share your tips, we share your cool stuff found, whatever it is we do here. Uh, and today, of course, we're celebrating our 500th episode. This episode is sponsored in part by Smile at smilesoftware.com and also uh, by iFixit at iFixitsoftware.com. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here... In fearful Connecticut, this is John F. Braun, but it's getting a little crowded here. Well, yeah, I'm back to, you know, I'm here in another part of Durham with Dave. It's Pilot Pete. Thanks for having me with you, gents. Uh, it's good to have the three of us here today. It what? is good to have the three of us here. And, yeah. you know, we um, so this is show 500 and we put out uh, the call for ideas. We had some ideas of our own. We put out the call for ideas and uh, and Rick Cartwright. There were a lot of great ideas uh, for for the record. Um, some of which we will come to fruition in, in upcoming shows, frankly, but, uh, Rick Cartwright on Google plus said something that resonated immediately with us here. And we knew we had to do it. He said, you know, it's been 500 episodes. I would love to hear from other listeners, uh, on the show. And, and of course that's the right thing to do here for, uh, for episode 500 or at least part of episode 500. So, uh, so we did. We reached out and and I tried to pull in. I couldn't get everybody. Uh, obviously, we can't get everybody in because that doesn't work. But uh, and I'm sure it won't work with the number of people that we have. But but we have uh, the benefit of lacking any wisdom in this department and also lacking any fear. So we have brought on uh, a slew of guests. Uh, in addition, of course, to uh, to the three of us here. I'd like to go around the room. Barry Falk, please introduce yourself. Uh oh. oh Greetings, no. everybody. Sorry, this is Barry. I am here. <laughs> and thank you for having me on the show. Uh, I am at Folk B on Twitter. That's F U L K B. And I've been listening to the show now for probably close to eight years. Awesome. Thanks, Barry. Melissa? Hi, I'm Melissa Davis, otherwise known as the Mac Bomby. Uh, that's how you can find me everywhere else in the Twitters and on, on the web. And I've also been listening to this show for. About the same time since around 2007. Awesome. Brian? Great to be here. Hi, I'm Brian Monroe, uh, IT consultant at Brian M. Monroe on Twitter from Palo Alto, California. Sunny weather here today anyways. Been listening to the Mackie Gap here probably for about a year now, a little more. And uh, great show. Enjoy it. Thanks for asking, having me on. Absolutely. And Allison? Allison Sheridan, I am at Podfeed on the Twitters and everywhere else. And I have no idea how long I've been listening to Mad Geek Gab, but I know I was cleaning some grout the first time. <laughs> of course you were. <laughs> it's the best That'd grout be cleaning show there the ever was. That's right. That's right. All right. And uh, and lastly, but certainly not leastly, Corey. Hey, my name is Corey Imdick. Um, I own an iOS development shop and I'm out here in Phoenix, Arizona. And I actually made the Mac Geek Gab app. Um, I've also been listening to the show. Um, gosh, I, I mean, I listened to episode one and I think the show was only on like, you know, episode 15 or so when I started. So I've been listening pretty much the whole time. 
Yeah. So, and I and th- thank you all for agreeing to come on and 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 spending your Sunday afternoon with us here. It, uh, you know, th- this show doesn't happen without you. It, it takes all of us, uh, and and I, when I say all of us, I mean collectively every listener and 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 you as a representation of that uh, to make this happen. It's not just us. So I, I'm really really happy. And Corey, your uh, your story was interesting because you and we certainly have listeners like you that started at, at day one or at show one or that started close enough to show one. But uh, but yeah, you 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 have an interesting story, Corey. So I'd, I'd love to hear you. And we're going to go around the room and have everybody kind of tell their story. But but uh, we'll start with you, Corey, about how you how you uh, how you started listening to podcasts in general and, and Mac Geekab specifically. Yeah, sure. So um, my story, I'm I'm a textbook switcher, right? So I've been a Windows and Microsoft nerd since, you know, since I could read <laughs> and I was a you know a small child and I grew up with computers. I always knew that, that I was going to do stuff with computers. So uh, I was going to school for computer engineering. I was, um, you know, I worked at a, a repair shop for, you know, Windows computers and building computers and stuff like that. And then uh, at one point, one of my friends actually got me involved with with the Mac, and uh, I was taking a Unix class at the time, um, and so it was interesting to me that uh, the Mac just kind of seemed like a Unix computer, you know, with more software available for it. So um, that appealed to my inner geek, and and I, I liked playing with the terminal and stuff like that. So the fact that I could open the terminal and, and screw around with it and break stuff was really exciting to me. So I ended up with my first Mac. And it was really cool because uh, it was all this, it was all new, right? I was used to knowing everything about how my computers worked and what they did and how to fix it and how to break it and all that. And I realized that with the Mac, I didn't know anything about it. I was totally lost. I didn't even know how to install software. So I started looking around for information. I found some basic tutorials um, and they were helpful, but not fantastic. I still, you know, they would teach me one thing, but I really wanted to learn you know, the insides. I wanted to learn how to fix it. I wanted to learn why stuff worked and why, and, and, you know, I wanted to go deep. So I started looking around and, uh, podcasts were kind of a new thing. And I, I'd never listened to a podcast before. So I just started kind of, uh, browsing iTunes, which, you know, was also a bit new (laughs) and, or new to me rather. And I stumbled across a few. Um, Mackie Gab was one of them. I listened to a couple um, first, just in random order. And uh, they were not bad, but they just didn't really speak to me. And uh, like I said, I remember Mackie Gab was very early. I I happened to catch it in the beginning. It was a total coincidence, um, you know, in time. And I listened to an episode and I thought, you know, I I really enjoyed it. I stayed up until like two in the morning just listening to a couple episodes. I thought, wow, like this is really interesting. I really am enjoying this and I'm learning a lot of stuff. And uh, I got to exercise my troubleshooting muscle and um, it was it was a lot of fun. So I spent the next couple of days and I grabbed all the episodes back to one, um, you know, started at one. And I listened to them. And, and like I said, at that time, it was new, so it didn't take very long. Sure. So I listened to all the episodes up to where I was. And um, it just I, I really enjoyed it. And it, it's taught me so much about, you know, the Mac. And it really has gotten me comfortable with everything. And I mean, I, I owe a lot of my current uh, inner geekdom. And, you know, now I'm I'm an iOS and Mac developer. Right. So, I mean, it's really brought me everything that um, that, that I'm doing today. And so I, I have a lot of 
I have a soft spot for the Mackie cab. I guess that's what I'll say. <laughs> well, we, we, and we have a soft spot for you, Corey. It's, uh, it, you know, it, it's, it's fantastic having you as a listener and, and been working with you on the app and getting to know you. And it's, it's fantastic. So yeah, you really are like the, 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 the switcher to the nth degree with, uh, with as far as you've taken your, your whole foray into the, the Apple world. Very, very cool. Yeah. Can, can I, I, ask I really am. Switched? Yeah. What's that? Pete? Uh, can I ask when you switched Corey? Well, um, I looked it up the other day just because, um, you know, when I was asked to be on the show, I kind of had to remember timelines and stuff. And it was, uh, gosh, I mean, it was 2006, 2007. I mean, it, you know, like I said, it was right when the show was starting and I had switched, you know, only a week or two earlier. I mean, it was oh, like right, right at the beginning that I started looking for it. So, yeah, it was it was it was back then. Uh, you know, I was, I was in college and just trying to figure this stuff out. Cool. Very, very cool. Um Allison, you uh, you 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 have grout to clean. And uh, and so what I'm really curious with with you, Allison, is because you're a podcaster. Many of our listeners, I'm sure, know you as uh, the 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 proprietor and and host of of the pod feats Nozilla cast. Right. So uh, what got you into podcasts? How did how did that start? Were you a Mac user before that? Uh, I'm curious. Yeah, I was actually all Mac all the time, starting back in 1984. When we saw our first uh, Mac 512K, so I never I never veered. I, I lost faith for a little while and did buy a new one, but uh, that's about it. So I, I got bit when I started listening to the Daily Source Code uh, with Adam Curry, and then um, I... I realized that everywhere I was going, I was bothering people about the Mac. You know, I'd stop people at the grocery store like, hey, have you seen this new uh, zip drive thing? It's really cool. You got to see this. And I realized that I could I could stop bothering people randomly and instead bother people who chose to listen to me sure. where it was an opt in. I didn't stop bothering people in the grocery store, of course, but naturally it. it really just seemed the obvious thing to me. Uh, and, and I was, I was a bit afraid to jump in and do it. Uh, but my, my brother Kelly had very recently passed away and he was one of these guys that would just go do stuff. You know, he would never hang back and just, you know, Oh, I don't know if I can do that. He would just do stuff that nobody could do. And so I thought, you know what, he would just tell me to just do it. And so I did in that's, 2005. That's awesome. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. I didn't yeah. realize that Kelly was was uh, at, at you know at part of the inspiration for just press and record the first time. That's great. Yeah, because it is kind yeah, of a scary thing. He also made fun of my name a lot, which is why he my name spelled backwards is the name of my show. Of course, <laughs> <laughs> great inspiration. Yeah. Hey, listen. But I did want to say that I I. I was listening to a lot of Mac shows and I, I, I needed to take up my game. And I think that's where you guys kicked in. And I, I was trying to explain what geekdom really is to my mother-in-law this morning. And I was trying to explain that it's really like a continuum. And, you know, she sees me as this, you know, uber geek. And I said, no, I think I'm like a low advanced, you know, and I reach up to the Mac geek app and I'm reaching down to pull somebody else up. And we're all in this chain, pulling each other up a little bit at a time. And sometimes one guy's ahead and some guy's another ahead, but everybody's helping each other. And that's what makes makes it just so awesome. Well, yeah. And it's, it's right. And it's not, it's not a fixed content. I mean, none of us sits in any one spot on this continuum. It, it's topical, right? Depending on what the, what the subject is, it could be, you know, I, I, I'm a beginner with a lot of this stuff and with, with other stuff, I know what I'm doing and I pretend and I, I like, I know what I'm doing all the time. Right, John, <laughs> John, what got you? Was it me that got you into podcast, John? I would say Dave, my recollection is that 
we decided to do this because you and I, uh, as most of you know, but if you don't, Dave and I grew up in Connecticut uh, in proximity of each other and I think met through the, uh, the this uh, obscure technology called bulletin boards. And that's how you and I met. Right. You know, I was running the cool bulletin board and you were kind of running the, you know, kind of, you know, second. No, <laughs> no, mine. No, no. Seriously. Mine was like one of the king of the bulletin boards because it had a huge local calling area for no reason whatsoever. Right. Other just, than that's just because of your decided it because of your location. Right. But yeah. yeah. So I had like this bulletin board with hundreds of users and that, that, that that's how I met you. And um, but the thing is, you know, once we became friends, I mean, the thing is, you and I always would shoot the breeze uh, and just you. call each other. Yeah. No, we, we got to no. be clean here. That's right. <laughs> but we were you Apple and I would always talk about Apple and Mac and, uh, you know, when the Mac came out. And at one point, I think it, it was you that said, hey, you know, I heard about this podcast thing. You know, we do this anyways. We talk about the Mac. So why don't we just do this podcast thing and record it? And the only thing that occurs to me is that we switched from... I think initially we thought the show, and I think that the first episodes demonstrate this, let's talk about what we think is interesting. And then all of a sudden, and I think we said, by the way, if you have anything to say, you can send us an email at feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Actually, it was, it was MacGeekGab at MacObserver.com <laughs> right. was the first email, but now it's feedback at MacGeekGab.com. That's right. Yeah. But what happened is that there was such a pent-up demand uh, uh, to draw on our expertise and and uh, so we transformed from a show where we talked about what we thought was interesting and cool to helping people solve their problems. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it was awesome. The, the, just how we morphed from something that was about us to something that is about all of us. So speaking of, uh, helping people solve their problems, Melissa, you have, you have kind of an interesting story where, where podcast filled a, a gap in, in your life. You want to, you want to tell us about that? Uh, sure. So um, I started listening to podcasts uh, around the time that I had my son. I was working as a Mac technician in a school and, uh, you know, lots and lots of you know hundreds of computers, actually. And I really had a great time doing that. And, you know, in the long and short of it, it just didn't really work out health wise. And so I ended up uh, deciding to to be a stay at home mom. And that was a really scary prospect in the beginning. And I was terrified that I was going to lose touch with, with all of the geekdom, you know, and I, at the time I didn't even really consider myself a geek. I didn't really know what a geek was. And, uh, so the long and short of it is that, uh, I tried being a stay at home mom full time and that didn't work out too well either. I kind of <laughs> got the itch to do private consulting and, you know, you, what's the saying? You, you can take the, the girl out of the city, but you can't take the city out of the girl. Kind of like, it's kind of like that with, with, with tech and that sort of thing. You, you just can't stay away from it when it's, when it's your passion and, and you love to do it. And I do, I love helping people. And I think that's kind of where, I guess it's because I, I'm a natural mother in that way. I love mothering people. I love helping people in that way. I like, you know, Oh, I'm sorry. You know, your, your computer's acting up. Let me fix that boo-boo for you, you know? And, and uh, that's kind of the capacity that I worked at at the school. And I just kind of continued that throughout my my private consulting and uh, listening to podcasts like Mac Ecab, uh gave me the the boost that I needed. You know, the, the knowledge It kind of kept me going like, oh, you know, there's there's other people out there that talk about this stuff. And they totally nerd out on the same kind of topics that I'm passionate about. And uh, so I just kept listening and uh, I did the you know, started doing private consulting. And uh, even to this day, you know, all these years later, I can't believe it's been this many years, but all these years later, you know, when I'm driving to house calls to and from, I 
listen to you guys and you guys keep me company on the road and I'm fish shaking in the air along with, with John and <laughs> I'm nodding my head along with Dave and <laughs> laughing and giggling the whole way. And, and it's just, uh, and then meeting you guys, you know, in person has been really surreal and, you know, we're, we're part of the, the cool kids club as John, John says. <laughs> so speaking, so. speaking of geeking out, you're the first time when you started listening to podcasts, you didn't have uh, a, an iPod. Uh, and so you needed to create this, this portable <laughs> way. Yeah. So you created what you called, what you told me was a poor man's iPod. A poor man's iPod. Yeah. Yeah. So I used to, in the beginning, when I first started listening to podcasts, like, yeah, like they said, I didn't, I didn't have an iPod at the time. This was back in 2007, I guess. I don't know. Were they out by then? I just didn't have one. And yeah. uh, I eventually got one with, you know, they would give you like a free one when you buy Macs. And of course, you know, we were in the, the educational, the academia discount, that sort of thing, because my husband's a school teacher and, and I taught at the school. Anyway, uh, so my son was a baby at the time and I used to uh, drag him. I used to put him in his high chair and drag him all the way to the back of the house where we have our spare bedroom, which is our office. And I would sit there and put him in the high chair and I would feed him his his pureed carrots while I was listening to these podcasts. And then I couldn't get enough of it. So I got bored with just trying to listen to them from the computer speakers so I made myself a poor man's iPod and I would just, at the time I just had all a spindle full of, you know, CDs. And so I'd burn, I would, I would collect a bunch of these podcasts, you know, your guys' episodes and Adam Christensen's Mac cast and typical Mac user. And then I think eventually I might've had an iPod by the time I started listening to no Silicast. Uh, but I would burn all these episodes onto a CD and then I would put them in my CD Walkman and then late at night when I was nursing my son, you know, rocking in my rocking chair, listening to your podcast late at night. And again, just like on my house calls, you guys kept me company. And during those long, late nights. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Little did Sony know when they created the uh, CD Walkman that it would be used for for, yeah, uh, really. for this kind of stuff. So, all right. I, I want to bounce to Barry and Barry, I want to thank you for going through uh, all sorts of machinations to join us, as you heard in the intro. And as you'll hear as Barry speaks here, uh, he is in an echo chamber that when I was listening through the speakers before uh, sounded like the kind of echo chamber that recording studios would pay tens of thousands of dollars to recreate. But uh, uh, so Barry, thank you for you're you're out of the country traveling somewhere. But uh, but, you know, uh, you, you I believe you too. Uh, uh, your switcher days and podcast days, uh, the, the start of those coincided. Is that right? Uh, absolutely. And a lot like Corey, I just switched over. And part of it, even before I switched, was I needed to learn about the Mac. I was supporting a large corporation, and we had about 200 Macs in the environment. And I had no idea what type of vulnerabilities there might be out there, some of the other things that could potentially impact our environment. So I got a 17-inch MacBook Pro. This thing was a beast. And I'm like, well, this is nice. Did a little research. Didn't, you know, really, in terms of vulnerabilities and such, it's obviously not nearly an issue as it is in the Windows world. So it kind of sat around for a couple months and I started to really start, I got to learn more of this. How do I get that information? So I just did some searching on iTunes. And I want to say the three that came up immediately was the um, MacCast by Adam Christensen, uh, Mike Potter's for Mac guys only. And then of course you guys came up. And I like the fact that there were some different styles. Adam's and Mike's were similar but you guys had a good banter between the two of you. So it wasn't just the technical stuff, which I loved. And I was just such a novice that everything was new to me and you were teaching me. But then the two of you truly came across as friends. And I'm like, this is more like a traditional radio show or some other type of program. And that really drew me in. That to me was what 
put you guys into a whole different category for me and suck me in. So, I mean, ever since then, I mean, now I feel like I've grown up with you guys. Certainly from a technical expertise, I've gained a lot where I've now become the support person for my family and friends and, and of course, work now. So that's really kind of how it started. And I mean, I look forward to it every week. And, and like Melissa said, I mean, this is critical for my drive time routine. I need it every day. Yeah, uh, it's great. I, you know, it, it's it's funny because all of you have listened to more episodes of Mac Geekab than uh, than certainly I have. John, you you've listened to more than I have because you uh, go back through them and do the show notes. I spot check maybe once a month. Um, but uh, but yeah, this is not a podcast I tend to listen to, although I did go back, John, <laughs> on the way home from your house when I was there a couple of weeks ago for Pepcom. It just randomly on my iPod or iPhone or whatever I was playing, the very first episode came on and uh, I thought, well, this is fitting. I, I should I should let this go ahead and play. And I did. I listened to the whole thing. It was it was horrendous um, it, it, from a from a stylistic and entertainment standpoint. It was in flow and all of that. It was it was horrendous, but uh, it was where it began. So and that was almost nine years ago. Right. June 13th, I believe, was the uh, was the, the first one. Um, John. So, well, we were all, you know, podcasting. Nobody was, uh, I mean, neither, neither of us. I mean, you're certainly a, you know, music guy and an audio guy, but neither one of us were really broadcasters in a sense, though I did do some, you know, CB and other radio work, you know, when I was younger, but yeah, I mean, you and I both learned together how to, yeah. Yeah, we came we came in with with related expertise, um, but but nothing exactly. We 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 circled around the 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 concept of being able to do this and and put it all together together. We had enough to to figure out what to do. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, Brian, you are yes. as far as the, this particular panel goes, uh, you are the newest listener to Mac Geekab. So uh, I wanted to to clearly Podcast had been an established thing by the time you listened to this show. Uh, yes. Were you listening to podcasts for many years before you found this show or, or tell us your story, please? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Can I, hi, this is Brian. Um, yeah, basically, I've been listening to podcasts for a while. And actually, my interest in just Internet, I'm not I'm sorry, um, geek tech shows and everything else really kind of goes way back to Computer Chronicles with Stuart Jaffe. I mean, I really, he was an awesome uh, inspiration to be watching sort of shows and like something really was my subject matter, you know, back in the day. And uh, so then from then to the CNET days, back in the, those days, it was fun to listen to, to watch their shows on TV also. But um, basically, uh, yeah, I mean, I've been watching and listening to podcasts for, you know, quite a while. So uh, and uh, yeah, definitely no question that, uh, you know, it's sort of one of those things that I've been interested in the subject matter. And it's sort of one of those things where because I sometimes my friends just don't have time to talk about the stuff or I haven't had a lot of friends, you know, different points in my life. Maybe I've had as many friends as everything. So it's fun to have the ability to, you know, at least listen to other people talk about tech things. And uh, I did want to bring up the point that I agree with people about the usefulness of podcasts like this or Internet broadcast um, for those those slices of the time when you're driving in the car, when you want some entertainment and everything while you're on your way to and from clients and that kind of stuff, or just in general, just driving around. It's really great to be able to have sources like this to be able to uh, check out and everything. So, you know, that basically is it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Very, very cool. Well, it, you know, it's and it's been a pleasure. You've you've really quickly become uh, a very active participant in our in our chat room, which which, I, yes. as you said, is kind of the you know, one of the things that that attracts you here. So it's. um, it, Yeah. It, yeah. 
and I, I definitely want to say definitely one of the things I really enjoy is the community Victory of One is made out of the, of the, these shows in general because not just hearing it later on, but really I enjoy the live side of it and being able to chance to be interact with people that share the same interests, which is great. So, yeah, yeah, it, and it is it really you know th- this community that uh, that exists not just around this show uh, but certainly this show and and, and podcasts in general is uh, is an excellent thing. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, Pete, you, you may have heard, uh, my apologies. I, I thought our mute button worked here and, and I'm such a powerful speaker. I go right through the mute. I don't know what it is. Pete. <laughs> um, I'm still trying to figure out why that would happen, yeah. Yeah. but, uh, but it doesn't matter. Uh, Pete, I, I was saying, thank Microsoft for this. In a sense, it's true. Everybody, not everybody, vast majority of us who are switchers came in about the time windows Vista came out. And went, yeah, I've had enough of that. And then Mac went to the Intel chip and and bang, here we are today. I mean, it, that, that confluence of those two big events, I yeah. think, is is a big part of this. And certainly, yeah, there there was a, a huge influx uh with the with the Intel chip. You know, we tend to we tend to forget about that now that Apple's um obvious success is around the iPhone and, and the iPad, but but you know, the Mac has seen a huge, huge growth. And it's not just because of the halo effect of, of the iOS devices. It, that you know, that, that Intel thing and, and Microsoft really kind of foobarring their OSs. So go ahead, Allison. And also, Oh, sorry, Brian. I, I, I'm I gonna, trying to figure out which is who, which is who, when I hear the little chirps. So go ahead. I was going to say the other nice thing I think Apple's done, of course, also is being able to be on the Unix platform now has been a big boom for them, too, because that Unix community has come in and the programmers that kind of knew that stuff have known. They know how to when you go to college, and you learn how to program or you learn Unix and programming usually kind of goes along with it. Right. You know, for a CS right. computer science class. And so those people kind of already are there already. The open source community has been there and they brought those those things over to the Apple. And I think it's been great. That they've been able to be beat their operating system on Unix, which has also made it more portable, more secure, and a lot of stuff there. Sure, so, yeah, you get to build you know. on. Well, at the time, what was twenty five years of history? Now it's almost forty or over forty years of history with the Correct. with the platform. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 yeah, it's fascinating. Well, and it's you know, I always like to point out that we started out with the OS wars of of Unix uh, versus uh, VMS. And we're still there, right? Because OS ten is built on on Unix and Windows two thousand or Windows NT, I guess, was the first one that was built on uh, VMS, and we're still there today, right? So mm-hmm. it's it's fascinating that we, you know, that was a key point. I think is that when Apple decided to abandon PowerPC, although it was a wonderful yep. chip, I programmed on it. A lot of people have. What struck me as a brilliant move by Steve and everybody else was being in the room with IBM. And saying, guys, you know, your chip kind of sucks. You know, you're really not, you know, pulling your weight. And they're like, oh, well, what are you going to do? You're going to switch it over to Intel? And they're like, yeah, guess what we've been doing in the labs for the last couple of years. <laughs> and that was just a brilliant, brilliant move. And now, and and working in a corporate environment, like a lot of you, the thing was, uh, I've seen so many people saying, oh, well, I could get a Windows PC or I could get a Mac and run a VM and have multiple machines. And, and uh, to me, it was just... It, it, it was so awesome that they made that switch because it just opened up so many doors for so many people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, and brought us a lot of listeners, which, um, which has been a great thing over the last five, uh, five years, 500 episodes is what I was going to say. Nine years. Very cool. All right. Can I ask you a question, Dave? Uh, please do. Sure. Yeah. How did you guys get to 500 episodes in less than nine years? 
Because oh, yeah. did you do two shows a week sometimes? Because I've been doing one show a week and I'm at like 468. We did. We we accelerated the pace when we initial when we rolled out the first iteration of Mac Geek Gab Premium was an extra episode every week. So we were doubling oh, up for several right. years. Yeah, it was good days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Barry, you were. I don't I don't know that I've ever told you this, but you were the very first person to sign up for Mac Geek Gab Premium. We sent out wow. an email and uh, and you were absolutely number one. Yeah, you, you acted oh, on it. I right did not away. know that. Uh, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I put that in my notes and and then actually didn't put it on the notes that I have in front of me. So I'm glad that that came up. I wanted to thank you. For I that. think Barry needs a T-shirt. That's right. At least a pin, a gold pin or something. That's right. <laughs> sure, that'll work. That's right. That's right. We'll get you a mug, Gary. Barry, we had um, we had uh, listener John Green actually made up some uh, mugs for for us, for John and, and Pete and I, and there were a couple of extras. So, uh, but they've inspired us to do pretty much the exact same design for. Uh, the next wave of Mac Geek Gab Premium gifts. So, uh, so we'll make sure every panelist here gets them uh, because you're part of our our 500th celebration, of course. And then any premium listeners that uh, have hit their tiers will get and them you too. Get one, and you get one, and you get one. That's right. <laughs> everybody, all, look under your chairs. Everybody Thanks, gets a trophy. Oprah. That's right. <laughs> I look a under car. your MacBook Pro. <laughs> Uh, I want to take I, I want to take a quick break uh, from our discussion here, but not from the show, and thank our first sponsor uh, for this. And then and then I want to get in. I'm going to do something that I didn't tell you we were going to do, but um, but I think it'll work. And if it doesn't, well, we'll we're going to find out together. So uh, so uh, first, Smile Software at, uh, at or Smile I should say is is the name of the company at SmileSoftware.com. Smile. Uh, has been a sponsor of this show for a long time. They were our very first sponsor of uh, Mackie Geb, and I don't believe that they have ever taken a break uh, since then. So our sincere thanks go out to Smile this month and and for this episode. I get to talk about PDF Pen Scan Plus, which is one of the coolest apps I've ever had the pleasure of using. Uh, it, in a nutshell, lets you use your iPhone or iPad's camera to take a picture of a document and then turn it into a PDF very, very easily. And, and this is not something that's otherwise very easy to do. Uh, in addition, in the in the interim there, many things can happen. Uh, one of those things is you can take that document and turn it uh, into text with optical character recognition inside the app, which is uh, an awesome thing. It'll also do some page straightening and cropping automatically so that you don't get these weird warpy looking things when you uh, make a PDF of stuff. I've used it for all kinds of things. If uh, you know, I, I, um, I'm not paperless here, but I am paperless with our user manuals. And the reason I'm paperless with our user manuals is because there's no way that I would ever find the right one at the right time. You kind of need those things when you need them, not an hour and a half later after you've dug through every box that you might have put it in. So uh, when I get a, a new device, the first thing I do is try to download the, the PDF from the manufacturer, of course. But a lot of things don't come with that. Uh, they come with these printouts that are, you know, if you lose it, it, it could never get it from the manufacturer and it's done. So I, I use it for that. And uh, I take a picture, I take a PDF and I can save it uh, right to Dropbox or wherever I want to save it. And uh, and that's that. And now it becomes a part of things. And I can I can uh, and I could bring it into PDF pen. That's the cool part and edit it right there. If I have some notes I want to make, if there was a serial number, for example, that uh, that, you know, is on whatever whatever I bought, I can I can tack that right on there. So I've got it on there. I've got the, the, the phone numbers if I need to call. But but hopefully whatever's in the manual 
can uh, can help me. They, they in, in version one point three of PDF Pen Scan Plus, they've added some custom paper sizes, including one for receipts, which is actually really cool because you can take pictures of your receipts. And and maybe I should be doing that and be even more paperless than I am right now. I just throw away receipts. So I'm I am actually paperless with receipts. I'm just also recordless with them. So uh, perhaps I could use this to be a little bit better with it. So uh, so check it out. Um, it, it's uh, it. You can see it all at smilesoftware.com. Of course, once you want to buy the app, it's an iOS app. So you've got to do that in the store. But uh, but you can certainly uh, check it all out at smilesoftware.com. And please do send them uh, your thanks for uh, our thanks uh, via you for for sponsoring this show for so long. They uh, they're great folks over there and uh, and and they deserve every bit of success that they have had. All right. So I promised that we were going to do something funny here and uh, and we're going to see how this goes. Uh, you know what we like to do here? It's great that uh, that we're all here. It's great that uh, we've done this for 500 episodes together. And and it's it's fun to reflect uh, on on how we all got here and, and all of that. But really, this show is about helping people and moving forward. And we've got. Uh, you've heard we've got some great minds here. So why not take this opportunity to not just answer questions amongst two of us or three of us with Pete here, but with however many I've lost count of how many of us there are. Allison, you <laughs> counted before I counted and, and left myself out. So how many people do we actually have here? Can you tell me? I believe we have seven, Dave. Seven. seven. That's a lucky number for some. A lot of cooks. Uh, that's a lot of. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. That's not exactly the phrase you used earlier, but <laughs> I said a lot of chiefs, didn't I? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I used a colorful word for something else, I'm sure. But uh, <laughs> we're going to be less colorful here. Anand writes. And and, and to be fair, uh, John and I have seen these questions before, but this is truly Stump the Geek with uh, with everyone else here. And uh, so we'll see. We'll see where this goes. But I, I think it could be kind of fun. So Anand writes, I live in the UK and coming to the States for a vacation. This will be the first time that I'm traveling with just an iPad, no MacBook to speak of a little scary. So my question is about the airport express use in hotel rooms. We're staying in hotels where I will have ethernet for free, but we'll need to input passwords in order to access the internet. I know that people use the airport express as a way of getting wireless provisioning in the room for iPhone and iPad. However, I'm not sure how to do this. My main question is, can you do this where you have a password restricted wired connection, given the amount of jet setting you guys must do? I'm sure you are all over this issue. So I Barry and we'll open this up to everybody. But Barry, I want to start with you because you are probably the most uh, seasoned traveler that uh, that we have in our mix here, perhaps next to Pete. I know Pete, Pete's, Pete's looking at me like, hey, what the heck, dude? That's what I do. I know. I know. But I want to throw it to Barry there because, you, you know, you. you and I do this all the time. That's right. No, right. no offense, Pete. None to well, I, you know, it, it is something I struggled with because I did try that. And the only time that I've been successful is if I'm staying at the same chain. In this case, it's a Hilton because they always use the same login. And so I would actually configure it when it was hooked up to a Mac once and then seem to keep it. But you know what? I just found there's too many variables and it just I find it's just too unreliable. At least that's my experience. So I've really stuck to using a MiFi or other type of devices. Really? So I, I would have thought that if you uh if you could the fir- if you connect say you know you get you plug the airport express into your whatever ethernet network is there when you first connect say your ipad to the airport express 
And then it attempts to go out on the Internet. I would have thought that that's the moment that you get the page that says, hey, you got to log in. Does it not tend to work like that? It didn't come up for me. It doesn't seem to come up with the actual page. Now, I haven't tested this in a couple of years because it was just such a frustrating experience. So unless they've changed something, I haven't been able to do it. Okay. If I, if I may inter- interject here, I used to actually work with a company that actually provided the hotspot software for these companies, kind of the backend billing system. Yep. And what happens basically in the systems here usually is it has to capture the first MAC address that gets on is the first one that's going to get on. Everything else is not going to get on. So that's why you need to have an actual travel router in essence where it's going to capture that address. The problem with the airport thing and more likely – it's not going to work as far as I can tell because it's not going to have the ability to it may bridge it, but it's not going to act as a true router. Well, it, I, I have a feeling it's not going to work. You probably want to use one of the one called travel routers they have down at the computer stores, you know, so. All right. All right. Does that well, make sense? It, what I just it said does. Now, it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's one of those things that makes me think, no, there's got to be a way, right? That the geek in me says well, there has to be a way, right? Well, let me. Well, the one thing I want to toss out, Dave, is yeah. that uh, so there are two modes. I think uh, there are two options here that you could do. And I, I think I've done what I've used in airport um, express with traveling. So one option is if you have it set up for bridge mode, I think that's right. probably the least uh, uh, issue prone setup in that you're basically setting up as a virtual cable. The downside is that you're only going to be able to connect maybe a single device sure, before the, the network you connect to says, whoa, whoa, what, what are you trying to pull here, dude? The other is that if you do set it up it, as a wireless access point, you do NAT, um, you know, address allocation. Uh, the thing is, it should, as I think you were, you were suggesting, it should grab the MAC address of the airport and then the, the wireless or, or the Ethernet network um, in the hotel will not get upset saying, oh, you're trying to pull a fast one here. Right. So uh, I think that's what you were. were that's what I would have assumed. Towards. Yeah. I had a previous generation uh, Airport Express. I haven't tried it with the new one yet. You know, okay. so I don't know if you've looked at them. They've yeah. changed the setup on them a little bit, which makes them less convenient for traveling, unfortunately, I think. But um, my, my previous one, I remember setting it up and I used to get the double NAT warning. But that's how I, you know, I set it up and then did that. And I never had any issues. Now, that being said, I I used it to get Wi-Fi on my Mac, not on an, not to start with an iPad or an iPhone. Right. So that therein may be the issue trying to go to that Web page and get it with. Oh, yeah. If it senses that you're on a mobile browser, it may not give you the login that you're expecting. Well, Pete, you bring up a good point, too, because I've had this happen before and it's not necessarily the end of the world. But the thing is. So most hotels, I think, when you do log into their Ethernet, they're not going to give you an actual IP address. They're going to give, as you suggested, I think, they're going to give you one of these non-routable NAT addresses. That's correct. And if if your airport is set up with the same NAT range, so the thing is you have, have, uh, I think, three major ranges. You have 10.whatever, 172.whatever, and 192. And if your airport happens to be set up with the same, then it could be bad news though though it's not impossible it could could still happen it just warns you about it right i I typically like to use 172 because that's non most uh, i've seen most networks that i've hooked to hooked up to either do 10 or 192 they typically don't do 172 so i like to use 172 just because it's kind of oddball and probably won't give you the nat warning 
You know, I have a question I would have asked uh, the the person who wrote in, and that is exactly what problem are you trying to solve? Why does this person suspect that they're going to go if they they only have their iPad? Why do they need to use the airport extreme at all? Because the hotel only has Ethernet. Right. How does he how does he already know he's going to a hotel from the 1950s? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, seriously, when's the last time you've been in a hotel that didn't have Wi-Fi in the United States. Well, I find that traveling other places, well, but that's a good point. I got to say, devices. if I'm traveling, no, I'd much hey, rather have Ethernet than Wi-Fi. But that's that's not the point. I, I'm with you on that, John. But 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 right. Allison's right. I missed what you were saying. Pete. Well, he may be trying to he may know that he wants to connect multiple devices for one price. You know, he said he was only his, bringing his his iPad. Yeah. Oh, OK. I was thinking Allison. iPad and iPhone and all that. Or his wife, you know. Uh, OK. Yeah. One one thing I one thing people don't realize, of course, maybe don't realize, and I bring up my dad sometimes. So starting to do this now is you actually can get um, actually uh, sorry on the um, on the Macs you can actually have the Wi-Fi and the wire connections. Uh, So you'd have like a Mac with two two network connections. You plug in the wire connection to Mac. The Mac that should become a router basically. Yes, you can have it like share its internet connection, right? And then basically then it would actually provide that solution also. So if you had like a MacBook or you bring it along or something like that, you know, that you basically want to bring along to be able to do that kind of thing. So. All right. Well, hopefully that that gave a nod enough there. So, uh, all right, mo- we'll move on. Thank you, everyone. Uh, we'll move on to Frank. Frank says, uh, I have an issue with Mavericks. Every opened window auto hides as soon as another app is opened or launched. Allow me to explain. He says, as soon as I launch or reopen an app, all other windows from other running apps auto hide. They do not minimize, but they hide. Thus, only windows for the app most recently opened are accessible. For this reason, I'm not able, uh, for instance, to drag text from a web page to text edit. Uh, Could it be part of the power save features that were introduced with Mavericks? I can't find any auto hide options in system preferences and I even tried the secrets preference pane. Uh, how can I disable this behavior? Corey, I'm going to throw this to you. I, 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 and I, I know I didn't prepare you for this, but I seem to remember that you and I thought it was you that had written in with something like this several years ago uh, and saw this. Is, is, does this sound at all familiar to you, Corey? Or am I misremembering? I, I don't think that was me because I, I don't remember having this issue in the past. But I do seem to remember if you hold down one of the modifier keys, like option or command or something, when you switch to another app, it'll hide everything except that app. So um, maybe if if he's got a keyboard plugged in or something like that, maybe there's a button stuck or um, something like that. But I I don't remember having that issue in the past. Maybe it was just so long ago I don't remember, but um, I – I don't think that was me, but, it wasn't but you, at okay. any rate, um, I, I would check maybe the modifier keys um, because that that sounds like a familiar function that that maybe I, I've triggered in the past and gone what what the heck's going on and then realized oh I'm I'm act, you know I'm leaning on this button or something sure maybe he's maybe his keyboard has a button stuck or something like that yeah third third party keyboard or auto modifier yeah. with the mouse or something Any, anybody yeah. else it's not I'm finding other people on the internet with it but you, you not are with answers okay yeah. huh. All right. Melissa, you, you, you chimed in there. Did you? I, I would dig around in the mission control preference pane and make sure that, that he's got it set up the way he wants. Cause it sounds like it's, you know, automatically rearranging the spaces depending on the most oh. recent use or something like that. Yeah. 
because I mean, if you look in there, I mean, the, the, the options listed are automatically rearranged spaces based on most recent use. You can either have that checked on or off. Uh, when switching to an application, switch to the space with open windows for the application. That's, you know, that's- an option you could have checked on or off. Uh, you can group windows by application and displays have separate spaces. So it sounds like it could be one of those options that he may have checked on. And, you know, it's it's one of those things that's kind of easy to overlook. Yeah. And that, that would make sense with the Mavericks upgrade kind of being the, the catalyst or the tipping point for that. Yeah. It, yeah a lot of what, times those things are turned on uh, by default for your uh, convenience and it might not necessarily be what you want. Yeah. Corey? Yeah, I, I was just playing around with it a little bit. And if you hold option and shift and click some of the different icons of things that are running, it, it does some weird stuff. It's it's hiding all kinds of stuff and, and it's hiding them, not minimizing them. So okay. uh, I'd, I'd really look into that. Maybe something is uh, another device is plugged in and acting like a keyboard or something is sending those keys. But I, I bet it has something to do with with that. And, and shift option seems to be the one that's that's causing all kinds of stuff to hide for me. So Do you guys think thought, that that might be stored in a preference file somewhere that he could delete and maybe get back to fresh? I, I found uh, at the end of the thread that's uh, it's three pages long. It ends with the guy saying it looks like it was a startup P list corruption of something okay. in his startup yep. items. And they said uh, it took the guy 18 months to figure it out. But the guy said he rebooted in safe mode and it seems to have cleared itself up. I assume he went back out of uh, safe sure. mode. Yeah, well, safe mode does does quite a bit, right? It cleans caches and it, it, it there are all kinds of maintenance things that are forced when when safe mode starts. When when John and I were researching this one, we found that there is still a latent thing from the very first version of OS 10 called single application mode. And that would do exactly what uh, what Frank is experiencing here the the and and funnily enough the secrets pref pane uh that that uh that frank alluded to has a a checkbox to enable or disable that uh he said that it was not enabled but it it may be one of those instances of go ahead and check the box and then uncheck it and that might kind of untwist that that pref pane toggle it on and off yeah yeah so yeah and i'd totally forgotten about single (laughs) application mode but but that right do you remember that john that single well, up in, in the in I was only going to comment, Dave, in that you and I have seen this, and it has been a theme in past shows here, is even if the GUI indicates that something is set a certain way, OS 10 lies. Yes. I think in it's that, in all GUIs, John. I think I always say when in doubt, just toggle it off and toggle it back on again. And I, I think it's due, you know, and it's not Apple's intent to lie to us. But, no. but uh, sometimes the GUI and the underlying plist files or whatever, they get, it, yeah, there's something weird. I, I think a lot of times it may be permissions or some weirdness, but um, just because a setting, uh, just because you have a GUI saying something is set the way it should be, it lies. No, Dave, you and I have confirmed this with numerous Absolutely. questions here. So you may want to, as, as suggested, Dig, get down and dirty and find that plist file and whack it, and uh, that may fix the problem. Just like Heck, the good I old days, we used to constantly. Lie. What? Uh, sorry, say that again. Corey, that I, I write GUIs and they definitely lie. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump to 
uh, you guys don't have the agenda. You don't you don't care what I jump to. This is all <laughs> new. The now you one. know how John and I feel when we're up I on care. stage playing. He's going to the next item. Playing Stump the Geek. That's right. <laughs> Uh, it's like how, how I feel when you jump around, Dave. Like I'm doing right <laughs> so now. Between us. That's right. <laughs> uh, so Rick writes, he says, I came across this hidden 5.9 gigabyte file in the root of my hard disk called mm. inode 5601380. I'm not sure what it is or how long it's been there. It seems to contain OS 10 install files. Do you know what it is? And can I safely delete it to recover the hard disk space? And it's, so and he sent us some screenshots and the screenshots tell the tale. So I will I will share this with you. The folder name that contains all of these is called packages and they're called uh, names like additional essentials dot PKG um, Java tools dot PKG OS upgrade dot PKG. The really big one is called essentials dot PKG. So it sounds like an OS 10 install. But yeah. this folder uh, that that contains packages called inode five, six, whatever it is, is on the root of his hard drive in a folder called lost plus found. And uh, yeah, so, uh, (laughs) so uh, Brian, I, I, I think you might be the right one to answer this with, uh, with your Unix experience, but, uh, but if you're not, then we'll, 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 well, we're going to toss it around anyway, but we'll start with you. I actually had to say I'm not sure about this one because I haven't seen that one yet. So I had to t- toss it to somebody else right now currently. So okay, I was just looking to see I, if I could find it. In my system, Dave, so. I'm almost I certain have that's lost. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Corey's found it. Corey, I, I want to make this one about the listeners as much as we can, John. And sure. and and you and I keep defaulting. It, and I apologize, you, Pete, and I uh, easily default into well, let's just answer it mode. So Corey, go ahead. No, I, I have seen this before, um, and I, I'm not entirely sure which utility puts it there, but I do notice when I have an issue with the drive and I need to run disk utility to, to clean stuff up, or if, if disk utility runs by one of the one of the weekly scripts, which is another Unix goodie that we got for free, um, it, it'll clean things up, and when it finds files that uh, were in the directory that, that doesn't know where they go, um, they end up here. So uh, if it's there, then other applications and systems probably aren't aware that it's there. And uh, if it doesn't look like it's useful to you, honestly, I would delete it. But maybe that's not the best advice. (laughs) John? I'm actually seeing a bunch of answers about it. Um, See, I don't actually know squat. I'm just really good at the Googles. The the answers that I'm seeing seeing are that the... <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I was going to say doing our job kind of like that. It's easy to do that kind of stuff. Google searches. <laughs> so, so the answers that I'm seeing is that it has to do with uh, incomplete or uh, unerased package files for installing other operating systems. Like uh, Mountain Lion seems to have been a, a particularly uh, happy one to do that. Cool. Yeah, I think that's what that's what the packages files are from. Um, but I think specifically the lost and found is is put there by. Uh, like a disk, you know, repair utility. Because uh, I'm pretty sure those packages actually go, um, you know, actually live elsewhere in in the system library or something like that. But uh, it, it, there was probably a, you know, corruption on the disk or something, and uh, one of the scripts ran it and found these files and didn't know where they're supposed to go, so so they end up there. Well, I think that's what the lost and found is specifically. Well, it also I looks will- like it often comes up when there's a hard hard power cut, like you lose right. power or force shutdown, which is, of course, you guys have told us never to do. Right. Sometimes you can't avoid it. Go ahead, John. 
Well, what I did find, so so again, for I was just interjecting. I, I I think it's lost and found, even though it says technically it's lost plus found, but I think it's lost <laughs> and found, like the lost and found. But based on what I found here, um, it looks like what is put in lost and found for most Unix file systems is garbage that FSCK finds. Ah. So if FSCK finds something that it doesn't know what to do with, it's like, you know what? I'll just throw it here. And FSCK is something that uh, I don't know if OS 10 and maybe our, our esteemed panel here knows this. I, I, I don't know if FSCK is something that OS 10 runs on occasion. I think uh, I, I think it, it, it does, does yeah. sometimes in yeah. the background. And if FSCK, which is uh, I'm going to guess means file system check, FSCK is a Unix utility that basically checks the file system and says, hey, how's everything looking? And if there's anything weird, if it's really bad, I think it tosses it into lost and found and says, all right, well, you know, I found something. Maybe you know what to do with it, because it sounds to me like what, what was put in there was something that was, you know, either damaged or, or screwed up or whatever. And it just said, yeah, I'll put it there and you figure out what to do with it. <laughs> Corey, did you find more? Yeah, I, I, I'm not really searching for it, but I do know that, that that's the utility that runs when you run um, like a repair disk and disk utility. Um, it, it runs FSCK in, you know, in the background. And I do know that it runs, um, you know, like, like was said earlier, if, if there's a hard shutdown or, you know, otherwise, you know, you, you kill the system um, with a power or something like that. It'll it'll run automatically um, kind of in the background when it's booting up the next time. So that that I mean, that totally makes sense. No, thank he still you. wants to know if he can delete it safely or not. And I wonder if I think the, the answer is to clone it and delete it and see if it works or archive it somewhere. I think I think Corey's point earlier stands that if if it's sitting in this lost and found folder, whether your system needs it or not, it certainly doesn't know where it is now. So if, if you're running OK without it, and in this case, it's clear that it's old OS install files. I think it's cool to, to blow it away. That, that, that yep. would be that would be my advice. All right, let me let me take a minute here. I, I want to uh, thank one of our newer sponsors, even though they are a company that we've been talking about for a long time uh, on this show. That's ifixit.com. Visit them at ifixit.com slash MGG. These folks here, you know, they started out doing uh, teardowns and then building based on these teardowns of, of Apple hardware. They started building repair manuals. And they really have, you know, we've talked about them uh, just in the in the flow of the content here in the show, especially about these SSD upgrades and all of that stuff. It's no longer as scary as it used to be to open your Mac. Thanks to the folks at iFixit. Not only do they show you what it's going to look like when you do get inside, they already know the steps. So they really make it simple to walk through. And uh, and all of those are available for free. Now, what they they uh, they're really smart. Uh, they realized, hey, there's people that are going to be digging into their Macs. They need tools. And not only do they need tools, they need the right tools. And I can't stress enough how much of a difference it makes when you're going to crack your Mac open to have the exact right size, not just torque screwdrivers, because those you kind of can't get away with the wrong size, but the right size Phillips screwdriver. You can really strip a screw head if you try to put, you know, your 10 year old all all in one single purpose Phillips screwdriver that's kind of sitting in your kitchen and it has a little bit rust, you know, a little bit of rust on it. If you try to use that to open up your MacBook Pro or, or your iMac, you are going to run into trouble. There are multiple sizes of Phillips screws and having the right bits 
that match those screws exactly are important, not to mention things like the pentalobe screws that are on uh, the iPhones and things like that, where I don't know where else you'd get a screwdriver other than 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 I fix it. So check it out. Go to ifixit.com. They've got some really, really cool stuff. Um, they, they've 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 got these these um, these mats too. now there. It's a magnetic mat. It's uh, it's a little larger than an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. And it's it's a it's a dry erase kind of thing on it. And you can uh, it's built to when you take your screws out, you put your screws down on this mat. I always say that I print out my pages and tape the screws to them. Well, this allows you to have the instructions on your iPad. So you're not printing out stuff and then throwing it away. So you're not wasting paper. And then you just put them right on there. You don't even need to use tape. And you put in the you, you draw a little box and you say, these are the screws from step number one. And then these are the screws from step number two. And this is this thing. And you can make little notes to yourself on it. It's very, very cool. So uh, so check it all out at ifixit.com slash MGG. If you spend more than 50 bucks there and to get a decent toolkit, that's what you're going to. That's about what you're going to spend uh, with the coupon code MGG. They'll give you 10 bucks off. So uh, so that's ifixit.com slash MGG. And again, use coupon code MGG to get yourself 10 bucks off uh, when you go and buy your toolkit to to take all of that stuff apart. So thank you. I fix it very much for uh, for sponsoring the show. And, and I'm glad to uh, have you here on episode 500. Can I offer a tip for using iFixit? Go ahead, Peach. I, when I my most recent large project was replacing the uh, screen on a MacBook Pro. Take your iPhone and take pictures as you go, because if their picture isn't exactly like yours or, you know, was that cable above or below? So I take pictures as I go to label them, but they're amazing. I mean, they've I would never have dreamed of replacing the screen on a MacBook Pro. Without, oh yeah, without what they offer. Yeah, no, it's true. That's a great idea, Dave. I I love that magic mat thing. That I I used it on a, a Mac a few days ago, a few weeks ago, and I didn't end up putting the Mac back together for like two weeks. So you know, there's no way you would remember where those screws went. And no. so I had little scribbled notes and was able to put it all. I'm missing one screw, but whatever. You made it more efficient. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's to me, it's brilliant because. The old solution that we've offered is you get an ice cube tray, you get some sticky notes. This is so much better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's cool. It's cool. So check their stuff out. Yeah. Uh, ifixit.com slash MGG. All right. Uh, we've got time for a couple of more questions and I think we've got some interesting ones. You know, let's go to, um, we're going to, uh, Allison, I'm going to point at you for this one because I think you did something similar. Uh, I know. Well, in fact, I know you have, I think, I don't know. <laughs> Anyway, maybe. we'll ask David. Maybe it doesn't matter. Definitely. Maybe. David writes uh, a question about the drive settings for SSD drives in the energy saver system preferences. I have installed a third party SSD in my Mac. I got the uh, crucial M4 and crucial M500 drives in various Macs that I have. Uh, right now, I have not enabled trim on my Mac, so I am currently using the built in garbage collection on these drives. If I put the drives to sleep when they are idle, does that stop garbage collection on them or does that enable garbage collection? And I'm going to bat it to somebody else. OK, I thought <laughs> I don't know a darn thing about trim. I thought you had installed it, it, when you got your MacBook Pro. You I think got, you're thinking of me, Dave. OK, but you, you Allison, you got install it. I asked about it. You you got your. Um, you got Apple's SSD in there. Is that right? Oh, the latest one. Yes. Okay. I thought you would put a third party one terabyte SSD in my apologies. 
No, I did on my, I put in a um, third party SSD in my previous two Macs, my 2008, my 2011, but I didn't do anything about trim. I don't know anything about garbage collection. Sure. Okay. All right, Melissa, I'm throwing this one to you then. <laughs> I'm going to throw it back to John because we had a discussion about this. Actually, Barry might know. Barry's the one that I think enabled it. Didn't you, Barry? Let's, let's well, add it around. Well, well, actually, I was going to say, this is one of the things that what I love about Mac Geek Gab because I didn't even think about enabling trim support because I have a third-party SSD. And last episode, you guys talked about it. Of course, I haven't been home to actually try it yet. So that's about all I know so far. I've I've always used um, trim support. I've I've been um, running on third-party SSDs since well since Dave said that that, that was a good idea, <laughs> and I tried it, and it it is a good idea. By the way, if you're not using an SSD. Um, Get, find your credit card because it is the biggest thing you can possibly do to your computer. We know um, we're inexpensive week and I'm loving it. I'm absolutely oh, loving it. Dude, it is. It's unbelievable. It's it's like, it's like buying a new computer. It, it doesn't matter how old it is. It doesn't matter how fast it is, how much Ram it is. It's inconsequential. If you put a, if you put an SSD in it, it will be twice as fast as it was before. But anyway, uh, as for trim, I've always used, um, you know, I tried to steer away from the utilities because I don't always trust those. I don't know how they're doing, what they're doing, if they're actually patching files, because it is kind of weird to enable it. So um, I wasn't a big fan of the the, like the little utility apps. Um, So I always found the the actual like patch command line that I could kind of look at. Yeah. And so I could see exactly what it was doing and do it that way. Um, And when I did that, it's always enabled and it's, it's worked and I've always had good luck. And I believe as soon as you enable, you know, trim support, I I believe the drive is smart enough to either not run its garbage collection and get in the way or, um, or, or, you know, do do the garbage collection in a way that will work with trim because they are built to support trim. That, that's um, right. It, it's important to remember. And I actually had a conversation with Larry at Otherworld this week about this because they sort of advise you on the Mac not to use trim. But it's not that they advise you not to. It's they tell you you don't need to because of the chipset they've chosen for their drives. It, when you take a third party SSD and put it in a Mac, the Mac doesn't enable trim because the um the, the the OS 10 only enables trim by default on drives that come from Apple. However, if you take that same third party SSD from OWC or crucial and put it in a windows machine or run it on a Mac that has boot camp running trim is enabled. So it's not right. like trim is bad for these things. And in fact, if you look at the uh, LSI, LSI is the company that makes the the Sandforce chipset, which which is the one that the kind of the the, the good vendors use, OWC and Crucial. Uh, OWC certainly, Crucial may have their own flavor of it. Uh, I'm not certain, but uh, but it actually works better. To to your point, Corey, it, their garbage collection kicks in. Crucial does say though, and this is an important thing. Uh, and David included this in his email. He says he was given a tip from Crucial. He says to force garbage collect- garbage collection on OS X Mavericks, boot the machine holding option. This brings up the drive selection screen. Leave the machine in this state for a few hours. This will allow garbage collection. So I think that answered his question. It will not run when the drive is asleep. And that is true. Uh, it only runs when the drive's awake. Of course, that's true with trim as well. So Sure. Yeah, and and it's also worth mentioning um, that all of this stuff for garbage collection, that's all dependent on the vendor um, and what chips they use and firmware and all that. So um, while it might be best, you know, for an OWC drive to use their 
garbage collection because it's built for that. You know, one of the other manufacturers, you know, it may not have garbage collection or frankly, it, it might have it, but there's a bug that keeps it from working. I, I've seen that before. Um, I've always used Samsung drives when I do it. Cause I think they've got a pretty good price and they're really fast. Um, and I always, I always use trim just because I feel like the Samsung drives are probably geared towards windows machines, which are going to use trim. So, um, right. But anyway, yeah, and, but it, it is important to know that for each manufacturer, it, it will be different. Um, right. So it's worth worth looking into. The, the now, benefits of trim are that the OS tells the drive when it's a good time to do garbage collection. And that's an oversimplification, right. but that's what it's. It, it's now a, an, an, an arrangement between the OS and the drive as opposed to the drive having to say, all right, I think we're idle. Let's go. Now is a good time. And that's why they they say just boot and let it sit idle without the OS running, because then garbage collection will kick in. So. Yep. Anybody else on on this one before we, before so we I, I just wanted to say it's not just you have to double check the drive, uh, not just the vendor, but actually the make and model of the drive, because I know that's you have different firmware versions and different drives and that kind of stuff. So you get, this is why when you buy a computer from Apple, all the stuff's all taken care of. For you right and if you do any of this hard third party like upgrades you definitely have to know these things not to look like the document i put in the chat room here um and uh something that looked worthwhile to check it out because there's all sorts of technical things you have to look at yourself if you're becoming your own tech base your own oem basically at that point so right right yeah it's a it's oh, uh, I sh- just to be clear i should enable it then even though i have a, a wc drive yes okay yeah no. As long as I'm not going to hurt it and I'm not going to break it. <laughs> no, you're not going to break it. Larry, Larry confirmed as much. It, it's it's fine. You may not see any benefits, right? It, it's because OWC actually build their, builds their drives with 9% over provisioning, meaning that that they leave. If you've got a drive that's, you know, whatever, 100 gigs, it's actually got 109 gigs and you don't get to see those nine gigs. Uh, those are used so that when the drive gets full, you can actually run that drive right up to about 99% full without ever seeing any performance degradation. And they're not the only ones that do it, but, but they they've built their drives so that, so that this kind of thing can happen and it doesn't slow you down as the user. Well, hopefully they'll put something on their blog or something that clarifies well, that. They, I, they do. And, yeah. I, I'll, I'll, I'll put the link in the show notes. Yeah. Absolutely. And trim enabler is the program we want to use, correct? Yeah. There's a couple of them out there, but trim enabler is the one I've used and it works fine. Or like, Corey, you, you have linked to something in the command line that we can use instead. I could probably dig it up. Um, it's been a while since I've looked for it. But yeah, I, I've always used the command line version. Like I said, uh, most of those apps are probably fine. If, if everyone's used Trim Enabler with good, with good results, that's probably okay. But um, one thing I heard specifically, the, the reason why I like to do the command line is because some of the programs uh, basically take a patched version of the file from whatever operating system version they have, and then just copy it over and overwrite yours, which is fine. But if there's an update or some reason that your file is different, uh, maybe you're on a newer machine or, you know, you've since updated to another point release or something, you're going to get that old version from that app and it'll just overwrite it. And that might introduce more problems where if you use the command line, it's just going to patch it. Right. So you're, you're the one that lives near me in Arizona, right? So so when we get together, (laughs) Over lunch, <laughs> this is what we're doing, right? <laughs> we, we, we can work that out, yeah. Okay, there you go. sounds good. <laughs> Mackie Gap, bringing, bringing podcasters and friends together all over the world. That's right? our, that's what we do, right, John? <laughs> we can do it. Well, oh, right, but, but the only, my only concern here, and, you know, I just want to make a point here. I'm nervous about this, so I understand why you'd want to do this, 
Okay, but, so when I come visit you, John, then, then we'll undo it. <laughs> I will help you ruin your computer. No, the thing is, yeah, so Melissa has come out to Connecticut and we've hung out and it was a great time and all that. That was so. the last time I did but, my But no, my only concern here is that you are, for a lot of these solutions, you are hacking or patching the OS, which to me is something that I... I'm uncomfortable with. Okay. See, I, I thought about that too when, when I first did okay. it, but here's, here's the reason that I said, you know what, I'm just going to go for it. And, and okay. maybe this is completely flawed, but when, when you patch that file, cause I actually looked at what the patch does, you know, before I did it. And when you patch that file, all you're doing is telling it by, by default, it looks for, you know, the word Apple essentially in the vendor name of the drive. And if it sees sure. Apple, it enables trim, right? So the functionality is already there. It's already built. Uh, and in earlier developer releases of, I forget which version, I want to say Lion, but maybe Mountain Lion. But, you know, mm -hmm. back then, early developer versions, it was enabled for all of them. Uh, and then later, you know, they kind of added this check. So all the patch does is remove the check for the vendor name. So it's not actually changing how trim works or what it does or anything like that. And I have to believe, you know, if it's going to work on, on an Apple drive, which is just a normal SSD, right. um, there's nothing different or special about it. And, and so far you know, we've been doing this for years. It's never caused a problem. I, I feel pretty safe about it. Now, if, if it was trying to okay. add trim or okay. add some other functionality, then I'm right there with you. I would, I wouldn't touch that with a 10 foot pole. Right. The, the but, trim exists uh, in the know, OS, right? Right. It, it's, it's a built in sure. function. So to and, me, the real issue is this is a big fish shake at Apple. Why yeah, is Apple absolutely. being, in my humble opinion, stupid about this? Why are they disabling? I, I think I know for, why. Because the first okay. round of SS they're, they're and they and they're still out there, right? They're, they're, okay. The older, older SSDs didn't always support trim. Pretty much anything you buy today will. But uh, but older ones wouldn't. And so I think yeah. Apple said, you know what? Maybe the drive's smart enough to say, I don't understand that command. Don't enable it. Um, but maybe the drive's not. And we certainly don't want to be responsible for that. So we're just going to take the uber safe route and only enable it on our drives. And if people want to figure out how to make it work on their drives, well, now they're outside of our realm. And that's fine. I think that makes the most sense. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's, from, from a support standpoint. I, I, right. I from a support standpoint. That. Yeah, absolutely. It's, 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 so it sounds like just like they're doing with the jailbreaking, the iPhones and that kind of stuff. Bingo. Again, they know people basically going to do it. They're obviously going to work actively against certain kind of hacks anyways, but they know that they're not going to waste the ends of the earth, keep everyone in the world from jailbreaking essence, you know, so. It seems like that cat and mouse game has died down a little bit, actually. It doesn't Big seem time. like they're going after jailbreakers like they used to. No. No. Mm. Yeah, that's right. It's I mean, not to me, this. Yeah. To me, the ideal solution is to eliminate the need for trim whatsoever. I mean, why should the OS be responsible for this? Maybe it makes sense. Oh, no, it totally makes that sense. The OS should handle this? Yeah, because because here. So here's the and, and now we're we're way deep into a trim conversation, but it's OK. No, it, it, we might as well finish this. What what trim what happens with the SSD? And we explained this a couple shows back. Yeah, I know trim cleans things up and makes it more efficient. Well, yeah. I, I think I get it. Yeah, but let me I'm going to explain it for the benefit no, of our listeners. Explain. Right. So when you when you mark something as deleted on an SSD or on any drive, it doesn't actually erase the data. And uh, all that happens is it says that space is now open. But when the drive goes to write to it with an SSD, and this is different from a rotational drive, the SSD has to first erase the space and then write to it. So it is a two step operation. It can get very slow. The idea behind garbage collection is that 
and trim is just a part of, of this umbrella garbage collection process. The idea behind garbage collection is that the drive goes through and wipes out the data that is sitting in these unmarked or unused uh, 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 cells so that when you go to write to it, you're able to write really quickly and you don't have to wait through this double uh, operation. What normal garbage collection does with these the drives with built in stuff is it can only run when the drive is a on and b not being accessed by the OS. So the drive has some smarts in it that waits. And when it sees that, OK, you're not doing some, you know, any operations. Good. I can go and get some garbage collection done. And then as soon as you say, hey, I need to read something or write something, the drive says, oh, OK, priority goes to the user. Garbage collection stops. So it's possible, highly unlikely, but possible that when in that scenario, if you're constantly beating on the drive, the drive may never have an opportunity to do its garbage collection with trim. The OS gets involved. Trim is just the, the operating systems way of saying to the drive. Now is a good time for you to do your garbage collection and let's go ahead and do it. So that's the, that's what trim does. It's, it's a handshake between the OS and the drive in terms of when garbage collection should happen. So it is a good thing. In theory, I get it. It's an artifact of how older drives worked. It, it, it's a hack to make SSDs more efficient. Yeah. No, Correct. I, 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 Correct. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just hoping someday the next generation SSDs will make this not necessary or next generation OSs will make it not necessary. <laughs> yeah, that that's it's certainly possible. Yeah. All right. I have, I have one question that I, I wanted to make sure we got in, in this show because it's, it's one that I would love an answer to, but I really don't have I don't think I have the best answer to listener. John writes, uh, I have a MacBook pro, which has accounts for my two sons, uh, age six and eight with parental controls turned on. I've had various problems with it, blocking websites that shouldn't be blocked. For example, in the iTunes store, when the music section is selected, it says it's blocked by parental controls. It has a button to add to the website. It says it will require authentication. However, when the ad site is clicked, it goes to a blank page and doesn't bring up a dialogue for authentication. In Firefox, it informs me that there's an update available. When I tell it to update, it continuously tried to connect to the server, but doesn't ever do that. I'm aware that I can go into parental controls slash logs and see what's been blocked and then approve those things. However, nothing shows up in relation to these problems. There are also longstanding issues such as administering parental controls from another computer where it gives an authentication error yet still brings up user details. I'm wondering if you have any suggestions. As far as I can tell, the OS 10 parental controls are buggy, poorly implemented and not really well supported. I found nothing useful from Googling. It seems the only option is to turn off parental controls what do you do? And and so I, before I talk about what I do, I, I, I want to look to uh, Melissa. I want to start with you because you're you're both a consultant and a parent. Um, and and we've got Barry and uh, here and, and Brian as well. So I, I this is the perfect time for for us to get this question answered. But Melissa, I want to start with you. Go ahead. I hate parental controls. <laughs> I really do. They've been they've just been awful. They, they've never been. Very good. Um, he's right. He's absolutely correct. They're very, very buggy. They're not very well supported. They never really have been. I don't know if they ever will be. I've kind of lost hope in parental controls. Let me just say that. I do use them, but um, my guys are little, so they're not really getting into a whole lot of websites yet. Yeah. And I'm kind of using them just so I can kind of eat my own dog food and see just how icky it really tastes. Uh, other than that, if I were a parent uh, like him and I had older kids, I would probably start learning how to do this kind of stuff at the router level. 
And I know you guys are just going to love that. Jump all over that because that's just what you love to do. But um, I, I would seriously uh, either abandon parental controls or use it sparingly or don't even you know, you pick and use some parts of it. My kids actually, this is funny that you asked this because I've been dying to tell you guys this. My kids hate parental controls because uh, it does this countdown thing at the end. Like I, I, one of the settings that I actually ended up disabling because I couldn't find a, a way around it was it does this countdown at the end. Like I have it set to say, you know, okay, log them out just in case he wants to tinker around with it in the middle of the night. Not, not that he won't, but it, you know, again, I was just trying to practice it. I was thinking like a teenager, you know, is going to want to be on their computer late at night. There is an option in there that you can uh, give it parameters for turning it off at a certain time, but it does this countdown thing and it says parental controls or, or, or you know, your computer will log out in and it does this countdown and it, it freaks the kids out. Like just as they're fall, starting to fall asleep. The only solution around it was to make sure that they muted the computer before they went to sleep. But of course, that's not a really good solution. I even looked in voiceover. I couldn't find any way to shut that darn thing off. So that's another thing that I hated and I, I just ended up scrapping. But as far as blocking websites are concerned, yes, I have experienced that same thing. Um, sometimes you just wonder, well, what, what the heck is it really actually blocking when it doesn't really go to the website at all? Um, so yeah, I mean, my, my answer to that would be just, if, if it's not working, I would find another way, like, you know, using the router. Cause I just don't think, I just don't think it does a very good job of, um, blocking all the sites because it, it'll, it'll, it'll block sites when certain apps try to launch because you don't realize. And, and I know, uh, John likes to use little snitch. It's when you enable parental controls, it's almost like little snitch because it lets you know things that are going on in the background that you wouldn't otherwise know about. Sure. So it's kind of funky that way. Sure. So I don't know. I, I would dig around in the router settings if you're comfortable. Yeah. Uh, and Melissa and I think that's probably the right path. And actually I take that to a DNS level. So open DNS actually mm -hmm. provides that's some what I was decent. Of. Yeah. They're decent. I, I really use it sparingly. And I think for, for me, it's an opportunity to work with my daughter. So she understands what's appropriate and what's not. We try to have exactly. her do most of her computing with us anyway. Right. So you have good conversations about what's appropriate, what's not, and try to let her make those decisions as opposed to forcing technology, because frankly, right. the more you put controls around, the more she probably Probably going to walk around them somehow. Yeah. Yeah. And she's probably picked up a good few tips from my past sort of history <laughs> on how to get around things. Yeah, don't let your, don't let your kids listen to Mac Gab yet. That's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but if I you just said stupid kids. On. No, no, I said don't let your kids. Um, I, I, <laughs> I actually leave them on right now only because I'm, I plan to turn them off only because I'm trying to set a precedent. I want my kids to understand that mommy has control over certain things. And, you know, I want him to, to see every time he tries to go to a website now, even if it's just, you know, it's something innocent. He's not he's seven. He's going on eight. He's not doing that kind of stuff. But there are a few sites that I don't really like because of the predatory advertisements and stuff. But I want him to see that there's a message that's going to come up and he needs to think twice about that or he needs to he needs to come ask me to enable it for him. Sure. And I just kind of right. want him to get used to that idea in the beginning. And then when he gets older, then I'll probably switch from parental controls to something else. Parental controls on the Mac is kind of like potty training for parents when it comes to teaching them about it's kind of the window into the world of getting deeper into that. You, you, you enable parental controls. You, you learn all of the powers and all of the uh, options that you have, and then you want more out of it. And so then that's when you kind of graduate beyond 
the built-in parental controls into something deeper like open DNS. And also, I just learned about, this was going to make my cool stuff found, but I think I should. Oh, wait, so it then, well, then hold it. Hold it for your cool stuff it? found. Okay, I'll yeah, hold it. No, okay, that'll be good. That'll be good. Because we're going to do that shortly. The last thing I was going to say about, yeah, I was going to say about open DNS is because it, manages your home network in that sense. Any device that's on, even friends that come over, whatever, you really only have to manage it once. Right. And I find it to be much easier. The nice part about open DNS, uh, and it's what we use here it, it, because for lack of anything better, it, it prevents the unintentional, uh, you know, uh, browsing or, or yeah, whitehouse.com. Uh, oops. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. It, it prevents that kind of stuff from, from coming up. So I heard. Yeah. And it, it, it does make a difference because the kids use their computer, you know, our kids are 12 and 14. So, uh, they're, you know, right in the thick of this, but yeah. they're also using their computers for research. And I mean, they're researching things like the Holocaust and I mean, yeah. stuff that, that parental controls, I'm sure, would stop them from and cause us great grief. But keeping them from accidentally wind, you know, winding up at some porn site or something is awesome. And that's what OpenDNS yeah. is great for. It's great for that because you just set it up once, like Barry said, to your point. And it's, it's Ronco. It's set it and, and pretty much forget it. The nice part is, though, they do keep those logs so you can look and say, oh, my son was trying to get to a porn site. Well, I haven't seen that yet, but I should try and I should uh. keep an eye on the logs. Right. So you could see, hey, wait a minute. What was this? And then, like you said, Melissa, you get to have that conversation. And parenting is is that right. It's just communicating and teaching your kids how to how to how to yeah, be their own people. There's no substitution for parenting. There just isn't. Well, I want to ask, I want to answer Allison's question actually, because she brings up a good point. My wife has come up with this. She asked in our little kind of back channel Skype room, how do I get to my porn then? Well, I, I don't, but um, <laughs> there, there are sites, but there are, there are going to be sites that you need to get to when you put it, when you put right. open DNS at the browser level or at the router level, sorry, it blocks everything. And that is bad for it for you as a parent if there's something that you don't want your kids to get to that you want to get to um for example my wife does um some knitting and for whatever reason a lot of these knitting patterns are on sites that also wind up having sort of you know uh, deviant tendencies or something i don't know what she's knitting <laughs> but anyway uh she needs to get to these things so you can go in and open dns and whitelist uh certain sites but then again that's that's a network-wide thing if you need to temporarily bypass or, or permanently bypass open DNS on a computer, and I will point out and very carefully that when you bypass it from any user account on a computer in this method, I'm going to tell you it bypasses it from every user account on the computer. So if your kids have accounts and you bypass it and forget to unbypass it, your kids now have free reign on the internet. But the, what you do is go into system preferences network, and dig into the DNS tab. The DNS is what's blocking this. And, and presumably it's your router's DNS that's in there. If you just put in Google's DNS of 8.8.8.8, that will now bypass your router's DNS. And of course, in doing so, bypass open DNS. So that's that's how Again, I get don't to Don't let my, your kids listen to Matt Geekab. That, that, there you go. When yeah. Dave's told us this kind of stuff. Yeah. Get around what we just told you to put yeah, on. And I'm, I, my, I'm sure because it's our 500th episode, my kids are at the house listening to this. So, uh, so you know, there you go. That's, that's like, thanks, well, no, The thing is, Dave, I, I've seen in the history of kids versus parents, kids will always find a way to find stuff that they shouldn't be looking of course. at. So, and then get and caught. especially talking as someone who is not a parent, I feel I am 
Oh, you're an expert. That's right. I'm an expert to tell you people how to manage your kids. But no, no, I I really no. Seriously, I I do believe it's more uh, like I think it was mentioned. It's more a discussion than a technological challenge because the kids will figure it out. Right. I did. And most of you did. You figured out how to get to content that was inappropriate or you shouldn't be looking at. John, you and I as kids had to figure out how to get online. Our parents, my parents didn't teach me how to get online. They didn't know. I taught my parents many years later how to get online. But even that predating and, you know, I don't think I'm embarrassing my parents, but I found my dad's Playboys before I probably should have. And it's like, yay. (laughs) (laughs) Now what? Let's have the discussion. (laughs) So the technology is is a secondary, I think, solution. But the the, the primary thing is, all right, kids, let's talk about this stuff and why it's bad or good or why I feel it's bad or good. And then, you know, you take it from there. So, uh, yeah, it's unfortunate. And and, and yeah, no tech solution. Like you said, Dave, I mean, I I find that interesting as well, is that it's always going to block things that may appear to be inappropriate, but Mm. aren't. Yeah, it's a baby with the bathwater. I learned about this long ago before I had kids when I when I was a site tech and, you know, the the media specialist librarian would always get on my case about, you know, oh, you missed this machine. You didn't turn on the, you know, the safety search engine or something. You know, it's probably because some kid figured out how to turn it off. You know, and I was always the one that got in trouble for it. I mean, there's just no end of round and round and round trying to constantly make these things safe for kids in a school atmosphere. And you can only do so much. And, you know, I found out the hard way because I, I was the one who enabled all these safety controls and I was responsible for it. And then, you know, it was come time to teach a computer lab with kids and they were doing researching about some particular subject. And one kid was researching soldiers. And I mean, oh, my gosh, I had to, like, stand in front of the computer because something came up on the screen that was just so horrific that I didn't even want to look at it. And sure. this was with safety control. This was with blocking turned on. So. That's why I say there's just there's no substitute. You can you can throw all these all these hacks at it that you want to. But that's why I'm starting out with my kids little and setting a precedent, showing them that, you know, this is you need to come and tell me when you see something inappropriate and just kind of, you know, that'll that'll last for a little while. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, But but you're right. I mean, no, it it, it, got to start somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. You show that that communication is okay, and it's okay for them to come and talk to you about things that they don't understand and that you're there and you're not they're not going to get in trouble for accidentally. And at this age, I mean, that's certainly what's happening is it's accidental. just, Just wait. Just wait until your till your parents come to you with their computer problems right. and you find out that <laughs> the reason why they have this virus or this this Trojan horse or this some kind of malware is because they were on a site that they weren't supposed to be in. That's really fun. Thank you. Yeah, All right. That that's happened to me. But ah, okay, there you next. go. All right. So I we we are coming to the end of this party here. Thank you, everyone, for for joining us. I want to go around the room one last time uh, and uh, and make sure now we're going to do our cool, cool stuff's found. We're going to do our cool stuff found segment. So we're each going to mention a thing and uh, and take it from there. Brian, I'm going to start with you. Awesome. Hi, uh, I got the iOS app. It's also available on OS 10. I'm not aware of that, but it's also available there. It's called iNet app. It is a program that lets me go out and do uh, port scans and see what net, what devices on the network very quickly. I use them on iPhones from other clients. I log into their Wi-Fi and I can see what devices are on there very quickly, which is great because, of course, 
trying to find out that printer or other device is getting on the network, well, it's really easy to find out using this app. So it's called iNet app and it's inetapp.de. Apparently it's the website. You can go there or search it for it in the iTunes store. Awesome. Thank you so much. That's great. Thank Bar- you. Barry. Okay. I'll talk about also an app. It's called Hue Disco. And if you have the Hue lights, the one that change colors, the neat thing about this is it enables the microphone on your iPhone, your iPad listens to whatever sounds, music, whatever you're doing, and will change the lights accordingly to the beat, you know, based upon the volume. And it's just a really cool app, especially if you're having a party or just want to have mood lights changing over the course of time. You can adjust that too. So it's, I believe, $2.99 in the App Store. Awesome. Thanks, Melissa. Okay, uh, so my cool stuff found, and then I have a little bonus for the end, but I'll save that later. Right. I'll give that to you later separately. You know what that is. Um, my cool stuff found is is called, it's a website. It's called gargoyle-router.com. I'll paste that link into the chat room. Sweet. And like we were just talking about, this is why I didn't want to forget about this. I just learned about this. This is a way that you can hack into your router uh, and adjust things on the firmware upgrades. Um, these are for like the classic example that I saw that they gave for using this was if you have a home network or say you have a roommate who's using uh, BitTorrents or something, you can throttle the bandwidth and you can do all kinds of fun things in there, but useful, fun things. Wow. So check that out. Gargoyle hyphen router.com. Now I want to go check that out right now. That's cool. I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. We, it's time for Allison. Well, I'm, I'm busy playing with Gargoyle Router right now, Dave. Can you come back? Or- yeah, you bet. I know. <laughs> I I, I'm all distracted. That. I know everybody's going to be like, oh, squirrel, cat, shiny I, thing. I didn't know where to Too go. I, I got all lost here. I'm just kidding. Uh, I am really excited about something I, I found out about recently. Um, it's a way to do activity monitor to your iPhone using a tool that's buried inside of Xcode. So inside Xcode, there's a tool called Instruments. So if you right-click on Xcode and you drill down through the package contents, you can get to an applications folder and find Instruments. And I've written a little tutorial that walks you through how to how to get it to work because there's a couple of tricky bits to get it to go. But you can basically come out with these neato graphs and watch what's happening with your iPhone, like while it's asleep, if you suspect it's burning up battery when it's asleep, what kind of processes are running, that kind of thing. This, this tool has a ton of capability I don't even barely touch on, but it's a way of doing this... Uh, super geeky fun thing to your phone and watching graphs and you can see all the sort by cpu utilization it's really fun wow cool so i gave you the link to that tutorial just wrote it uh, today in the car actually i know it's awesome that you're doing these blog posts i know i i i tipped you over the edge in, in <laughs> mentioning that in a previous show but it's awesome because you do such a great job with these that people need to know about them and and having them in all in one is is the right way to do it so all right, cool. Thanks. Awesome. Yeah, of course. Corey? Yeah, so uh, I actually have two cool stuff found items today. And the reason I have two is because um, Dave Dave informed me that I guess one of them was already talked about on the show. But I think it's really cool, so I'm going to talk about it again anyway. <laughs> That's um, awesome. And this one is oh, actually there. similar. Yeah, I, no, I don't care. So uh, this one's actually <laughs> John, similar. John does that all the time, so it's totally <laughs> it's totally cool. Well, I figured, you know, I, I wanted to get in the spirit of the show. So <laughs> uh, anyway, this is similar to um, the tool that uh, 
Brian actually talked about. It's called Fing, F-I-N-G, um, and it lets you scan a, uh, a Wi-Fi network, and you can see devices on them, their IPs and MAC addresses and stuff like that. And that's super handy uh, because, like, when we set up a Synology here at the office, um, I need to log into the thing, and I don't know what its IP is. Uh, and so instead of just guessing numbers and figuring it out eventually, or sometimes they come with tools that may or may not work, you can launch the app, and it'll find it and tell you what it is. So that's really cool. It's an app for iPhone iPhone and iPad. It's called Fing, F-I-N-G. And then my other cool stuff found, and hopefully this will be original, but maybe not, is uh, called Screens VNC. Uh, and VNC isn't necessarily um, you know, new. I'm, you know, everyone uses that if they do screen share on OS X. But what's cool about this one is there's a new little tool that they have. Um, it's called, uh, I believe, Screens Connect. And you can install this little helper on each of your Macs. And like a good little geek, I've got Macs in every crevice of my house and office that I need to access. <laughs> uh, even if it's, you know, sitting on the couch with my laptop um, trying to control the Mac Mini connected to the TV, um, you know, I can use this for that. And so it will catalog all, all of your computers and it'll even, um, you know, get through routers and stuff like that. So I used to use LogMeIn Ignition to do this duty, um, but lately they discontinued their free service. So I've been looking for something to replace it um, and, and preferably not rely on some service that could eventually go away and stop working. And so far, I'm really happy with this. It's a little spendy. It's about 30, 40 bucks um, for the app. But so far, I've been using it. And I'm really happy with it. I think it's worth it. And, 30, uh, and you don't have to pay for some subscription. So 30, 40 bucks gets you up for all your computers. You buy the app for your iPad right. and you're done. Yep. yep. Well, yeah. So you can buy it for the iPad or iPhone sure. um, or they also have a Mac one. So I use it on, on my Mac to control their maps. Ah, Macs. Okay. Um, but you know, they, they also sell one for the iPad and you know, the iPhone as well. So you can get one or the, or the other and then you can control your stuff. Um, so when you need to get that one file off of your computer at the office and you're already home, you can just log in and get it. Awesome. Pete. Oh, thanks. Well, uh, in uh, tradition here, uh, I, I have two as well, but they, they're they do the same thing. Right, uh, <laughs> great, <laughs> even better, right? But for different devices, uh, mine is Fast R. It's an I, iOS app, and uh, it's two ninety nine on the App Store. But uh, it's a speed reading uh, app, and it is fabulous because it's so uh, scalable for the way you read. You can do one word at a time, a few words at a time, one line at a time, a couple lines at a time, several lines at a time. And it's all very adjustable anywhere. You probably start off 250 to 300 words per minute, and you'll find you rapidly increase your speed up to five, six, seven hundred 700 words per minute. Um, and the beauty of FastR is it's the first one I found that will take EPUB files so you can read entire books. And the other feature that it has that others I've noticed don't have is the ability to scroll to a point in the book where you left off. Most of the ones I've dealt with, you know, once you come out of the app, you come back in, it starts you at the beginning. Ugh. Even at the fastest setting, it's going to take you 40 minutes to get to where you left off. And, you know, that drives you nuts. So Fast R um, is very scalable, very friendly for getting where you want to and, and getting books uh, in, into, the, uh, into the app. For doing that on my Mac, there's a free app called iReadFast. And you can cut and paste, throw it in there. And, and when I'm doing reports for uh, safety at work, I can take the reports, throw them in there, and I can cr crank through reports much faster. And it's, all again, all adjustable up to about 1,200 words per minute, far above my ability to speed read. But, wow. uh, um, but my record right now is I, I read a 450-page novel in a little over two hours. It was actually quite a lot of fun. Yeah, that was a And, and you, you understood it. Understood it. Got the whole plot, the characters. Yeah, well, what was it about? 
Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it all started it. on a desert island when <laughs> when Dirk Pit was. <laughs> wow, that's cool. Thanks, man. Yeah. yeah. Enjoy, Mr. Braun. Do you Look have others? Them? I'm going to break the rules here, but of they're course. related. So right. number one, so these are items that. Um, once I went through my handouts and goodie bag at Macworld, I found, and I thought were pretty darn cool. So the first one I found is something called the Unibat PowerShake 2600. What is this? You asked, this is a battery. It's basically a rechargeable battery for whatever you'd like to charge with it. Uh, as the name implies, it's a 2600 milliamp hour, uh, unit here. Uh, it's very small. Uh, I, I believe uh, from what I read there, they have Samsung battery technology in there, but it's really cool. Um, so it has a micro USB port and a USB port, micro USB to charge it, USB to uh, uh, let you charge things. And it comes along with a cable to let you charge it. Um, the nice thing is that, uh, as the name implies, power shake. Hey, you want to know how much juice it has? You shake it and it lights up the LED telling you. Oh, that's cool. What, what the, uh, and also when it's charging or discharging, it will also, so it goes from blue to green to yellow to red. Uh, but I thought it was really neat. So for the size, uh, 2,600 milliamp hours is enough to uh, give you at least one, at least one charge on a uh, iPhone. Um, so I thought it was really cool. It's 50 bucks or 49.99, um, uh, on its own, fifty nine ninety nine. It comes in a lot of different colors and it's very cool. But then the other item I wanted to Dude, that, offer. That's and, uh, way expensive for a battery, right? Doesn't Monoprice have their like like ninety six hundred for thirty five bucks or something? I don't know, man. I had a Monoprice battery and it lasted like an hour, ah. <laughs> like, and it never worked again. I mean, like well, all I'm saying, point like, taken. It went in it, the trash. <laughs> From what I could see, Dave, it's a, a, a again. I it was given to me, but it's twenty six hundred milliamp hours. It'll give you at least the charge. It seems to it looks to me to be a quality product. Um, all right, all right. So Sweet. again, uh, fifty bucks or sixty bucks. Uh, I like it, but you know the feature. I mean, the shake feature is kind of cool, and the you know it, it reports the status and all that. It powers down when it doesn't need to be powered up. So I thought it was cool. Um, but the other thing I got, and some of us got this in our goodie bag at MacWorld, but I thought it was. Uh, relevant because it, it kind of relates to this. So uh, it's the Skyva S K I V A Apple certified two in one lightning and micro USB charge and sync cable. Hey, hey John, before you go too far, you can't actually buy those. I've been waiting to do a review on it because really? they're not available. Oh yeah. No, they ran out. I, ha- I have a link to their website and they say it's available because we got oh, it. Yeah, our goodie got bag. Back. Right. And to me, the thing is, it's cool. So it's it's both a micro USB, which the product I just mentioned uses micro USB to charge it. And then it's also a lightning cable. So it's a two in one cable. But I thought it was such a cool concept because I could use it for two for two different things, both charging my devices and charging my chargeable devices. Right, right. Very cool. So um, I'm I'm sad that you told me that it's uh, well, but maybe it's maybe a, now it is available. Maybe it's back. Yeah, maybe. It's but back. I, I even wrote to the guy and he said, "Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. We don't have any right now. I'll tell you when they're up." So yeah, that was the new oh, segment. Gosh. Cool stuff I have and you can't have. That's right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so I'm available for sixteen ninety nine on Amazon. Oh, there you go. Oh, okay. they are okay. Good. Go go go. All right. So um, mine. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh uh talk about something that's. Uh, expensive and worth it, which is the Durafolio case from for the iPad. 
I've got one on my iPad mini, my retina mini, but they make it for the iPad air as well. It's from spec and it's not cheap for the iPad uh, mini. It's 60 bucks. It is the case that I have wanted since the day I got my iPad mini and it just recently came out. They were showing them off at, at CES. Uh, it's all the, the drop testing and, you know, mil spec and all of that stuff that, that you would ever want really comfortable in your hand doesn't really add much thickness to the ipad it, it's it's minimal enough that i i don't mind it and i'm pretty picky about that uh the way they they've utilized magnets on it of course they have magnets for uh for turning the screen on and off and keeping the folio part over so no more of that that silly little tab on the uh on the ipad mini which which drove me crazy but they also have magnets to keep the back on the case so that the back isn't flipping all over the place when you're just holding your iPad in your hand. And uh, and they've done a really nice job with it. It's 60 bucks. Absolutely not an inexpensive purchase. But uh, but to me, well worth it. What so. generations of machine does it cover? Uh, I believe it's the iPad mini, the retina iPad mini and the iPad air. OK, That's so it. not not the fourth. I don't the, believe the they have a Durafolio yeah. for the fourth, but they have other they have. Yeah. They just did, hadn't made a good folio case for the iPad mini in, in right. my eyes. Right. So they and they had made good uh, sure. folio cases okay. for the other ones. Yeah. So, yeah, that that's sort of where I was where I was on this. So. All right. Uh, we already mentioned, but uh, for one last time, for one third time, feedback at Mac is where you can send in your comments and all of that stuff you can also call us at 206-666-GEEK which folks is four three three five very nicely done sweet uh and i want to go around one more time and give twitter handles of course the show is mac geek Gab. i'm dave hamilton uh we're going to run around the room so john john abron on twitter um yeah that's me that's it yeah good barry Falk B, that's F-U-L-K-B. Melissa? Uh, Mac Mommy. All would burn no spaces. Brian? At Brian M. Monroe on Twitter. Allison? At Podfeet. Corey? Mine is my name, which is Corey Imdick, and my last name is spelled I-M-D-I-E-K-E. Say that ten times fast. (laughs) (laughs) Pete? At Pilot Pete. There it is. Sweet. Thanks. Thank you so much, everybody, for uh, for coming on the show and and doing all of this with us and just being listeners. And, uh, you know, you've all contributed to the show in ways that that the rest of the listeners probably are unaware uh, over time. It's uh, it's 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 fantastic. So I'm really glad that we got to celebrate 500 together this way. Good. Congratulations. My heart. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Dude, the band. You I know the band. I did. We, I, yeah, I, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You renewed their contract. Outstanding. That's right. <laughs> much, much to the dismay of some, I'm sure. Much to the dis- dismay of one. I'm not sure who that one is, but well, I know we had really somebody not complaining. Bi- you know, I got to say, between oh, us here, they're vision. really not big on original material. So that's right. Yeah, but they're they really good at this. About- that's right. Well, yeah. I mean, they're consistent. That, that's, that's good. Right. <laughs> Uh, I do want to also thank Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators podcast and, of course, Get Appler at uh, getappler.com. Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. Gives us all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. The podcast marketplace, of course, includes BB Edit from Barebones Software, PDF Pen Scan Plus from Smile, Gazelle.com, Squarespace.com, with their coupon code MGG for 10% off. Uh, ifixit.com slash mgg with their coupon code mgg for 10 bucks off rage software they've got a coupon code coming 
And uh, because you asked for it. So, uh, so we'll talk about that in an upcoming episode. And uh, I, I really, I think that's, uh, that's as far as we go with this. It's been great for these 500. That's it, right? We're done, John? We're not going to do any more? Oh, no, we got to do more. We'll be back next week. Series finale. Oh, <laughs> for people next 500. Another 500. We have more. That's right. We have another 500 worth of questions in the queue, so we might as well just do another <laughs> 500. Thanks, folks, so much for joining us. We're going to try this together here at the end. We have one lasting piece of advice that we would all like to share with you, and that is three, two, one. Don't, don't, don't get, get caught. 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 Yeah. Made up.